0: This podcast is brought to you by Blackbee Ministries International. To find out more, visit blackbee.org.
1: Well, welcome to the Richard Blackaby Leadership Podcast. My name is Sam, and I'm your host, and I'm joined by Dr. Richard Blackaby. Well, I hope you're having a great summer, Sam. It is. It's uh, nice and hot here <laughs> in, in the great sure. state of Georgia, so we're uh, trying to survive the heat, and that's... Always a challenge, and I always uh, regret living in Georgia every summer. And we every t- summer. T- have to thank uh, God for the patron saint of air conditioning every year around <laughs> this time. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and pray that the Freon keeps keeps flowing and keeps us cool. But, uh, you know, one thing that, um, that we're probably, most folks are familiar with is uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And yeah. it's perhaps one of the most famous passages, certainly one of the most famous uh, teachings of Jesus and uh, there's a there's a a bit in there that's called the Beatitudes, mm-hmm. and uh, you know I think people love to sort of quote those, and you know, you know when when you're feeling uh, you know uh, meek or uh, sorrowful, you know oftentimes those kind of get uh, brought up and uh, sort of held up as sort of oh this is just you know the way you should live and the things you need to do, but you know upon further investigation, they're maybe not quite as uh, Quite as straightforward, yeah. I think, yeah. uh, as we would would think they are, and as we would maybe hope them to be, and so uh, you've got some some insights into that for today. Yeah, I thought we maybe take the next uh, two
0: two times two podcasts just to unpack uh, these beatitudes, and 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 like you say, um, they're we're all familiar with them. We've all heard sermons about them, had been in Bible studies about them, but. Uh, but sometimes the things that are kind of familiar with it to us are not necessarily as as understood as we would like to think. Be- because we re- know what it says doesn't mean we know what they mean.
1: Well, I think we often, if we hear something over and over, it's easy to not really think about that anymore. It's yeah. just like, oh, yeah, the Beatitudes Sermon, that's nice.
0: And this is kind of at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. It's almost like poetry, you know, But and yeah. poetry is nice. It doesn't mean you understand the poetry. but. Uh, and so I thought we might just take a little bit of time because uh, this is really, in a sense, Jesus was trying to say, these are the rules for the kingdom. Jesus came to establish the kingdom of God, and these are the rules. This is kind of the constitution of the kingdom of God, uh, mm-hmm. how it's supposed to function. And and you realize very quickly, well, this isn't the way the nations are run. This is, This isn't the way politics is run. This isn't the way the dog eat dog kind of Business world runs. Uh, Jesus is talking about a very different kind of lifestyle, and and what you find is, in one sense, it almost seems impractical. It's like, well, I could see doing this maybe in heaven, but but how could you live this way and not get eaten alive? And so, yeah. Uh, and some people have called this. i I've seen it described as the B attitudes, in the sense of these are the attitudes that uh, Christians ought to have. Um, and uh, and so I thought maybe this week we just look at the first half, uh, and just touch on them. And of course, as we can go really deep into these, every word is uh, could be taken apart. But but it says in Matthew chapter five, of course, there's the the Sermon on the Mount is covered really in three chapters in Matthew. And right off the bat, the first thing Jesus does is he he gets to the beatitudes and and uh, it says that uh, when he saw the crowds he sat down on a mountain and and uh, began to teach his disciples and so i think it is important to realize that he's t- he's telling his disciples to live this way this is not he's not saying that just nations in general can operate this way because unless you're born again unless you have the holy spirit it's really impossible uh, to have these these uh, beatitudes and so Um, and so this is a kingdom ethic. It's, it's the ethic that Jesus followers are commanded to have. And, and there may be some significance in the fact that the very first thing he does is get to these. Um, it's almost as if, if you're going to get the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, you've got to start out by having the right attitude. So verse three, he says the first one, which is blessed are the poor in spirit for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And of course, he, uh, Matthew, as you know, always calls it the kingdom of heaven instead of the kingdom of God. And that was because Matthew is writing as a Jewish person and and it was considered etiquette uh, to not write the name God any more than you had to. Uh, and so they'll they'll often use a synonym. So kingdom of heaven is just a Jewish way of saying kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And so he says, uh, and so the very first one he says is, "Blessed are the poor in spirit." Uh, and it, it's kind of interesting because if you look over in uh, Luke chapter six, there's a there's a parallel of this sermon and uh, and these beatitudes, and they're not quite the same. Luke uses some different words, um, and of course you sort of have the sense that Jesus probably. Preach this sermon a number of times. I, I'm someone that has used a sermon more than once. Just, you know, you 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 work hard and develop a sermon and you preach it at a church somewhere and and God really blesses that. And a couple months later, you're at a different church and you're trying to think, what should I preach about here? And sometimes you think, well, you know what? That that message is just as true for these people as it was for for the church I spoke in before. And right. so. So there's, there's, there's certainly it's quite likely that Jesus preached some of these things more than once. Here, the sermon on him traveling around, right, in every place, and of course, nothing's you can't go watch the YouTube of his sermon when he was in Bethsaida, now that he's down by Jerusalem or something or in the, yeah uh and so uh he would and and these are key truths that he really wants to ingrain in people's minds so he's going to Well they end share up them. in
1: the in the Bible so that tells you something about the importance of Yeah. But of what so they, obviously Luke
0: may, when he is recording it he may be kind of taking his notes from a different sermon that he preached he he may have been doing the same kind of material, but just said it a little bit differently and so on, or might've been remembered a bit differently. But but anyway, it's interesting because in Luke's gospel, he just says, blessed are the poor. Uh, and that's in one sense, even a little more radical uh, than saying blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, yeah. Because if, right off the bat, I mean, we we don't think that you're blessed if you're poor. Uh, not it's quite that, the opposite. Yeah. yeah. It's like we're, you're not blessed because you're poor. But, but Jesus says, no, if you're poor, especially poor in spirit, um, you are blessed, and and the kingdom of heaven is yours. Uh, and of course, there's been all kinds of debate about what that means. Uh, what does it mean to be, or we know what it means to be poor. Typically, it means you don't have any money, don't have any resources, have a very modest, if any, kind of home to live in. You have few possessions. Uh, and so that, that's pretty radical just to say you're blessed if you're poor. Uh, Matthew kind of qualifies it a little bit and says, if you're poor in spirit, um, and uh, you know, I, I, you can kind of sort of parse that a little bit to say, what is, what is, what's the difference? What does that mean? Um, if in your spirit, you have a sense of being poor, uh, uh, or whether you're literally poor, uh, what does that? Why would that be a value to yeah. to have little? Uh, and of course, for those of you that have some things, I think most of our listeners probably not impoverished for the most part. Uh, you you would have, and certainly compared to the rest of the world, we're probably all would be considered rich, uh, having mm-hmm. all kinds of possessions. I was reading uh, a book the other day, saying just the average household, just in like uh, just their living room and kitchen or something, would have something like thirty thousand different objects. If you count all your silverware and appliances and all the little knickknacks you have in your house. There's just tens of thousands when you start to collect them all and count them individually. Uh, and I think in in perhaps part of what Jesus is saying is. Uh, blessed are you if your life has not become too complicated. And anyone who's ever had any money, uh, and all of a sudden maybe you've you've saved some money, maybe you inherited a small a bit of money or something, and all of a sudden you've got some money to spend. That of course we all dream of that. We think that's that'd be wonderful. But but if you've ever done that, and all of a sudden you're trying to figure out, okay, now what do I do with this? Do I buy a car? Do I buy furniture? Do I put some in retirement, uh, and you start to think, okay, now I've got to think about the taxes I'll owe on this at the end of the year. I better put some money aside, and do I do I tithe on this? It was, uh, is this income? Does this go to God? And before you know it, okay, by the time I've tithed and I've put money aside for uh, taxes at the end of the year, and I've and I've paid off this bill and that bill and all of a sudden you realize okay it's really kind of complicating my life here this money that came along yeah and all these decisions and pressures and uh my friend heard I got came into some money so he expects me to pay for lunch the next three times we're together and uh uh and before you you realize it and then of course you can get greedy and you can start to think should I spend this on myself should I spend it on others should I give this to a mission cause? Uh, and Jesus was saying, you know, in, in other places, he said it's, it's, it's more difficult or it's easier for a camel to, to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. And, and in part, what he was saying is, blessed are you when you keep your life simple. And, uh, you know, yeah. I, I think uh, that's something that a lot of us, especially in the West, uh, learn hopefully uh but over time i think the modern uh, world has told us that you're successful and you'll be more happy if you've got lots of stuff and you've got a big house to put it in and you've got uh, a three-car garage to store stuff in i read another uh, statistic the other day that said i think uh perhaps as many as half of the garages in in america you can't park your car in them because they're so crammed with stuff yeah um and and so you know stuff has a way of distracting us and and burning up our time and uh and causing a lot more stress and uh
1: there's certainly a burden to stuff yeah that is and I'm sure some of our listeners
0: are saying, I'm willing to take on the burden. Give me more money. Give me more stuff. <laughs> but, but the reality is that um, it's hard to ignore money. It's hard to ignore your property. It's hard to ignore your investments. And when you start to think about how much time you spend just maintaining your money, just meeting with an accountant, just getting your taxes done, just doing the math to figure out uh, how you're, you disperse that. And maintaining all of your your uh, possessions, and uh, and now repairing it, and now they need new batteries, and now it's the warranty's out, and this needs repair, and yeah. uh, as you know, I've just had a microwave go out on me, and so I've got uh, it was sparking and burning, and. Mm-hmm flashing light not microwaving yeah so uh yeah so i have got to spend some time going and shopping trying to get one that will match the cabinet that it's in and so on and you know i'm i've got more important things to do than that i'm working on a book i'm studying and putting some sermons together Mm -hmm. and last thing i want to do is have to be going around to home depot and other places trying to find a matching microwave and installing it uh but every possession you have becomes one more thing you've got to maintain and yeah. upkeep and so on and and so you know I I I, I feel like and and of course we Lisa and I could certainly live in a smaller house than we live in now, but we are in a smaller house than we owned before we owned this one. Mm-hmm. We have downsized quite a bit uh, to this current house and uh, I, and I you know I there there's an allure at times of a big house big property. Uh, yeah. several different vehicles. Uh, right now, Lisa and I just have one vehicle. Most of my business travel is on an airplane and, and not in a car. And so uh, we just kind of decided to see if we could make do with one vehicle for now. Um, and I and I think that there's just something uh, to be said for simplicity. And I'm not telling you... There's not a formula that says, right. you know, you should all be live in a small house and have one car. I'm just saying that for each person i think any way in which you can kind of simplify your life yeah. um gives you just think of all the time that you're spending maintaining your stuff and then then tell me honestly are you spending adequate time with god in prayer and in bible study yeah. are you spending adequate time uh reaching out to your neighbors and other people or are you so consumed with your stuff that you don't have time for what really matters mm-hmm. and uh for those things that are eternal. Our stuff is not eternal, but people are in our walk with God. Well, and,
1: you know, I think there's no it's no accident that, that there is sort of this movement uh, towards minimalism. Yeah, um, There's been a, yeah. a lot of folks have have really taken that up. I think it was the, what was it, Mary or Marie Kondo, there was a whole, you know, uh, sort of phase at least of people just decluttering and just getting Mm. rid of stuff. And and my house has certainly gone through a few of those purges. Yeah. And uh, And your wife
0: is, is quite a minimalist.
1: Yeah. We, I mean, we both are. And, and I think, uh, you know, I think there's, there is just something liberating when you just have less stuff.
0: You know, there's even, I I know, my wife Lisa listens to a number of minimalist podcasts. There's a bunch of them out there and, uh, it's interesting. And, and they say just psychologically, if you've got clutter everywhere, it's stressful. It's distracting. Yeah. It's hard to focus. It's hard to even have a quiet time or pray if everywhere you look, there's just stuff, even if it's just all on the walls. I, I know there was sort of some people kind of like to hang every picture and diploma and whatever they've ever collected on the wall. So there's no more wall space anywhere. Um, but there's something actually quite attractive about, you know, just, a minimal amount of things on wall, yeah. the clean, uh, open wall space, uh, that is attractive. And it's, it's a sense it's kind of soothing. Yeah. Uh, and I know Lisa does that a lot. She'll sort of put a bunch of stuff away just because there just gets to be too much. Yeah. And so Jesus was saying the very first thing is he, and of course he does this in this whole sermon. Is he turns everything on its head, yeah. and people thought the more stuff you have, the better off, uh, the the richer you are, the, the the more blessed you are. But I think in part what he begins by saying is, no, actually, so, sometimes the people who have the the, the simplest lives uh, have the have the the most joyful ones. And of course, I've been in homes, I've been in mansions of multi multi millionaires who were on their third and fourth marriages and had broken families. And I, then I've eaten meals around a dinner table in the most humble of homes where the family just laughed until they were just red in the face. They were having such a good time. They, they didn't even own their own car. They rode around on bikes, but they... But they love to be together. And be- because they weren't distracted by all the toys the world has to offer, they, mm. they found their pleasure in people and family. And, uh, and I think Jesus just understood that, that we are a distracted people and that real joy uh, and success comes from focusing on what matters. And, and when, you, when you know what matters, you don't necessarily need to prop up your life with a bunch of stuff that doesn't.
1: Certainly. Well, let's take a break here and we'll wrap up when we come back.
0: Hello, I'm Richard Blackaby. I'm the co-author of Experiencing God. And here at the Blackaby Bible Institute, we're offering an online class of Experiencing God that people can take from around the world. No one had any idea back in 1990 when Experiencing God was first uh, published that it would be so life-transforming and that uh, people would experience revival. They'd be set free from Burdens they've carried for years. I can't go anywhere in the world without people telling me how this material has changed their life And so we offer it as the black where we have all kinds of video resources A live stream where you can submit live questions and uh, get answers from myself and others And just many different resources that will enhance your experience of taking Experiencing God So I want to encourage you if you've never taken the class before Or even if you have, the Blackview Bible Institute will offer you more resources uh, than you could have gotten anywhere else. And so we look forward to studying with you, and we're praying that it will change your life as you do.
1: Well, that uh, that was the first Beatitude there that uh, yeah. took up. Uh, I the, thought we were going to cover bit. four. We may not cover four in the <laughs> for podcast. Uh, yeah, I think we're uh, we're reevaluating this two part series might <laughs> might just become a four part series, and we'll see. Well, but, that's uh, the problem with Jesus. He, he, he a few words can go pretty deep in a hurry. Yeah, well, and that's and that's okay. And I think uh, I, I think it's better to spend a little more time and and really. Um, get the marrow out of the, of the bone here and, yeah. uh, as it were, and just really meditate on, on these words that I think are life changing and certainly totally counterintuitive, uh, to certainly Western Christianity. And, uh, so maybe let's, in the time we have left, we'll look at the second. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I
0: just was reminded
1: yeah, one last thing, maybe about the first one, is
0: uh, I remember reading the story about the Vanderbilts, and I think it was William, the 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 heir of Cornelius, the, the second generation wealthy Vanderbilt, and uh, he inherited uh, over $100 million from his dad, and which made him, uh, if not the wealthiest person in America, certainly in the top two or three. And uh, and within, I think he he lived about eight years of managing that money, and uh, doubled doubled the amount. It was he's worth over two hundred million when he left. And he of course isn't it, like the eighteen hundreds. Two hundred million dollars was just uh, enormous. But there's an interesting quote I read from him where he was talking about his neighbor, and his neighbor was not poor, but his neighbor didn't even begin to have the kind of money he had but uh he was interesting vanderbilt actually said he said you know i envy my neighbor because uh, he said he obviously has a happy family he has a happy life that he he does enjoyable things he's got enough money to do fun things but not so much money that that he has to just that his money has become his master and uh And basically Vanderbilt just said, my life is miserable. All I do is try to manage my money. And uh, he died about eight years of managing the money. It just literally did him in. Um, Hmm. And I, I thought to myself, you know, Jesus maybe had something understood that, that real joy does not come from amassing money or possessions or properties, but... But just recognizing the joys that uh, that anybody has access to with family and with God and so yeah. on. But but the second one he says, which is kind of a different one, is uh, in verse four. He says, "Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted." And uh, again, there's some that you think about mourning. Does that mean that if you're just a sad person, that you're blessed? But and and many people feel like the mourning that is being referred to here is referring to more of a, 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 a repentance, a mourning over sin, a mourning over uh, the fact that you're not the person that you ought to be before God. And, and I'm sure that that, that can uh, be a part of that. Um, but also, I think it just can also just mean, and uh, in maybe in a, a very practical way, um, it just it may also just mean that uh, some heartache is not necessarily bad for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, no one wants it. Uh, but there's some things that happen when you mourn, when you weep, when you go through uh, hurting times, that, that does things in your spirit, that does things in your walk with God, that yeah. uh, that doesn't happen otherwise. Luke says it a little bit different. He says, "Blessed are you, uh, uh, blessed are you who weep now, because you will you will laugh." And so. In one sense, uh, joy often comes through sadness. Uh, joy comes through or comes through the process of weeping. Um, I, I love uh, the Psalm thirty, verse five. It says, "Weeping may stay overnight, but there is joy in the morning." Mm-hmm. And so, it's almost like you know what—we're all going to experience uh, weeping at some point. It's just part of the human uh, experience. Um, some people experience it early on. And uh, and they become stronger from it. They they learn to turn to God uh, early in their life. Others perhaps uh, don't experience a lot of weeping uh, in the early part of their life, and then later when they do face it, they don't know how to handle it. They don't know how to deal with uh, heartache and disappointment. Uh, You know, some people have lived uh, well into their life before they've lost loved ones. You know, I feel. Fortunate in many ways, I've got, both my parents are still living into their 80s. Uh, my wife lost hers when they were in their 60s, uh, so over 20 years ago. And uh, and my parents, I I haven't lost a parent yet. You know, they're getting they're getting closer all the time now. My dad's mm-hmm. 87, but um, but sometimes I think you know the the thing about when you're a child of God and you weep is that God is the one who comforts you. And yeah. the interesting thing about that is so people have actually asked, um, would, uh, of course, none of us wants to weep, none of us wants to be sad, but what if you have God as your comforter? What if every time you weep, God himself personally brings you comfort? Yeah. Uh, would you be, would, would that then become an attractive thing to have God uh, encouraging you? God speaking into your soul, God wiping away your tears, and there there's just something in your walk with God that happens through painful experiences, that doesn't happen uh, in in pleasant experiences, and and you can just see sometimes um, people that perhaps have never really been suffered major disappointments, never suffered loss, uh, never suffered heartache. Uh, you know, it's not that they're bad people, but they just have never really been able to mature in some of those really important areas of their life, that, that can humble you. That can keep your feet on the ground. If you lose someone early on in life, it may help you appreciate the ones you have even more. Uh, if you've experienced deep pain, it perhaps also makes you much more appreciative and alert to, to great uh, happiness and joy when it comes. And, uh, you know, if you've lost people uh, or lost a friend, then uh, you value the friends you do have uh, even more. And so mm-hmm. there's, I think what Jesus was saying is, you know, the world desperately tries to avoid tears, but sometimes it's only through tears that you actually find your way to a place of joy. And, uh, and I've said this before, even in churches, sometimes you'll see someone perhaps weeping uh, in church because they've Perhaps God's really spoken to them that day, and God's really convicted them of how they've treated others, of how they've been prideful, how they've been uh, inconsiderate in of other people, and and now God's uh, convicting them of that, and they're they're weeping about it. And our first tendency is always to come and comfort people, try to stop them from weeping, to say, "Oh, it's all right, you know, you're not so bad. We all we all fall short." And I think there's something very important about. Times of weeping, where we truly see ourselves as we are. Perhaps we reflect back on how we've really been inconsiderate of others. Maybe we've said some unkind things, and and now all of a sudden we realize, uh, wow, what a jerk I was! You know mm-hmm. how insensitive I was, and what why did I say that? And and I just think that there's some real value in at times. Uh, reflecting back on your life and perhaps weeping to say, God, but by your grace, I, I, I'm such a disaster of a person at times. And I I could be such a horrible boss uh, to employees. I could be so arrogant. I could be so insensitive. And to see yourself as you are, I think that's part of what this mourning is. It's saying you, you, you mourn over your spiritual condition, over your sinful condition. And and it's only when you get to that place that you of true repentance and sorrow that god can do a great work and because you had a broken heart now god has created in you a more humble heart a more sensitive heart a more compassionate heart and so i think it's interesting that uh jesus says um you know some some mourning that you do is actually probably pretty healthy for you. It's probably yeah. a good thing because it opens the doors for God to comfort you. And I'll tell you what, if if I, I've said before, if you had a, a, a choice, you could either never experience pain or you could experience pain but have God comfort you every time you did, what would be better, having God yeah. comfort you or never experiencing discomfort in the first place? and god just would say you know what sometimes we think if you're going through a painful time it must mean god doesn't love you but it may actually mean that god knows there're certain things you'll only experience through pain right that there are certain doors that only open through pain and so for you to go to those experiences that actually can bring a lot of joy you might have to go through the doorway of pain first and so don't you know don't kind of get uh, decide what you think about God while you're still going through the door. Uh, just understand you may be in a season of pain, but hold on. That, that season, that door, or that path may ultimately lead to great joy. Let God finish the process. And yeah. so hold on because uh, there may be pain in the night. There might be weeping in the night, but like Psalms 35 says, but there's joy in the morning. And yeah. for
1: some people, if you hold on long enough, the joy is coming. Well, this is. Uh, I'm, I'm just really excited about this little series we're going to do here, and it's already uh, been fantastic, and there's just so much to be uh, learned and applied. Just one uh,
0: sentence from Jesus, and you can camp there
1: for a long time. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, and I think we're going to do that. I think we will camp here for, for a few episodes, and uh, so thank you, Richard, for walking us through this, and until next time.